A few years ago, I went to, to the doctor, uh, fearing the worst. I had a, a, a really sharp pain right here, and um, I'd been a runner for a long time, and my dad had had his hip replaced, and I thought, okay, I sort of know where this is headed. Um, so I saw the family practice doc, and he pushed and poked and prodded and sent me away for some x-rays with a tentative diagnosis of calcific tendonitis. So uh, I, I got the x-rays taken, and I, I went to the orthopedic surgeon and had what was probably my shortest physical checkup with the doctor to date. It lasted 15, maybe 20 seconds. He walked in. I'm seated in the wonderful little paper gown that you have. I'm seated there on the table. He walks in, nods in my direction, looks at the x-ray for maybe two seconds, harumphs, looks at me and says, you don't have calcific tendonitis, and turns around and starts walking out of the room. So I, I go, wait, 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 and I jump down and I go, well, I got something. He goes, oh, let me guess. It hurts right here, and he poked me right here, at which point I collapsed to the floor and said, yes, that hurts a lot, and he says, stretch. And I said, this isn't a hip issue? He goes, no, your hip is in here. That's an IT band, and he walks out like Idiots. Everywhere I look, there are idiots. So I'm standing there for a second, and I thought, okay, well, I've been insulted, I've been humiliated, spoken to like I was four, but this was good news. I don't have to have my hip replaced. I just have to stretch. And he was confident when he took a two-second look at what was going on on the inside as to what the real issue was. Hold that thought. We're coming right back to it. As you likely know, we're working our way through uh, Luke's report to Theophilus. We have been in the sermon, the, the sermon that is Christ's most famous sermon of all, and we're seeing this series of ideas and ideals that Christ is, is calling us to to create a new community, a, a, a group of people who are going to live by a whole different set of, of objectives and standards that are going to start to lean into the kingdom of God. Last week, the focus was on judging, and the point was we're to love others and we're to judge ourselves first. Right? It's not that we're not to judge. We, we have to. We need to assess. We need to be discerning. We need to make judgments about people and ideas. The only way to live a good life is to make good decisions. And so we have to make judgments. But we need to judge ourselves first. And we need to do so with a lot more honesty and clarity than we typically have. So I said, look, first embrace the gospel. Don't simply step over the line and place your faith in Christ, but lean into this revolutionary, transformative idea that God already knows the worst about you. 
And he accepts you not because of who you are, but because of who he is in his love and goodness. So there's, there's freedom there. We don't have to hide this stuff from ourselves or from others. God already knows the worst. Embrace the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he accepts us where we're at. Secondly, assume the log is in your eye. We've got to privilege voices other than our own to, to discern how we're doing. And then finally, treat others with the same standards that you are expecting to come back your way. Be as forgiving with others as you want God to be forgiving with you. Be as merciful and gracious with others as you want them to be merciful and gracious to you. Well, today, we go in what may feel like the opposite direction. Having just encouraged you to embrace the gospel, I I now am going to talk about the other side of the same coin. And that is that we need to to make the most uh, of the life and the gifts that we have been given. We are encouraged uh, to push forward and to become as good a people as we can to make life better for others. And and this discussion takes place in the context of talking about fruit, which is a very common biblical metaphor. In the Psalms, we're told that we eat the fruit uh, of our labor, which doesn't mean that we're farmers. It means that we're going to reap what we sow. In Galatians, Paul talks about the fruit of a a broken heart being anger and bitterness and adultery and hatred, and the fruit of the Spirit of God being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. In other places, the Bible will talk about fruit leading to prosperity. In others, it will talk about the fruit of our life being spiritual or biological children. In others, fruit refers to our actions or our attitudes. In still others, the fruit of our life is the praise that we offer to God. This metaphor comes up over and over again. And not just fruit, but fruit trees. Now, in Matthew, Jesus will curse a fruit tree that does not is not producing any fruit. And in another place, in the same gospel, he'll suggest that fruit trees that are not producing fruit should be cut down and used for firewood. And and he's not simply talking about trees. This idea of fruit in our lives comes up many times. Um, One of the men that I have looked to for counsel through the years is Bob Buford, and, and he also talks a lot about fruit. He set up a foundation called 100X, uh, which is uh, the return that he's looking for on the investments that he makes. Okay? Not financially. He sort of did that already uh, when he was a young man and made lots and lots of money, but then had a bit of a crisis to try and figure out what actually mattered, and he came to the conclusion that what would matter to God was his investment in other people and seeing their lives changed. He came to this definition both because of what he saw in this book and also because of uh, what he read with Peter Drucker, uh, who was his mentor for 30 years. And Drucker, a great management thinker and 
sort of a leading thinker in, in the 20th century, wrote on many topics. He wrote um, more about the church than people realize. He spent a lot of his time focused on nonprofits. And talking about nonprofits in general uh, and the church in particular, he said this they do something very different from either business or government. Business supplies either goods or services, government controls. The nonprofit institution neither supplies services nor controls. Its product is neither a pair of shoes nor an effective regulation. Its product is changed human beings. So Buford, who's uh, in his 70s, and who now talks about the idea that the fruit of his life is growing on other people's trees, Buford, uh, as well as the Bible, talking a lot about this concept of fruit. Once you start to look for it, you're going to see it many uh, different places. And we're going to use that metaphor, uh, we're going to see it today in our passage, and, um, and we're going to see it in, being used in a particular context. One of the ways that fruit is going to show up in today's passage is the suggestion that it's like an MRI, right? That fruit allows you to see what's going on in the inside. Healthy fruit suggests a healthy tree, right? Apples suggest an apple tree. You might say you're an apple tree, but if you're not producing apples, you're either not an apple tree or you're not healthy. You might say you're an apple tree when what you're really producing is poison berries. You're not an apple tree. You might think you're an apple tree. You might say you're an apple tree. You're actually a poison berry bush, not an apple tree. No one's making pies from what they get from you. So there's a sense in which the fruit of our life, what's coming out of our life, Our thoughts, our actions, our statements, our legacy, our impact. This is an MRI. It's an x-ray that shows what's going on inside our heart. So the passage today is is disruptive. And I don't ever want to stand between you and the disruptive words of Christ. So uh, let me just note, when, when people are broken... When they're, when they're repentant, when they're, when, they're at, you know, when they're looking for help, what they find from Jesus is comfort and words of peace and love. When we're moving through life with some sense of self-sufficiency, pride, uh, when we're misusing power, when we're, when we're not in a position of sort of humility and, and good stewardship, the words of Jesus can be uh, staggering, right? They, they, they send us back. They, we're, we're left reeling. And I, people are surprised by this, but trust me, we're going to see them. And today's got a little bit of a kick to them. And I don't want to soften the blow at all, but I do want to shape the way you hear these words in, in two ways. One, I, I want to be sure that you understand We've got to be very careful when it comes to comparing our lives with someone else because we really do, at that point, get into an apples and oranges thing, right? Comparison is, is a fatally flawed exercise. 
We can feel better or worse when we compare ourselves to other people depending upon who we selectively decide we're going to compare ourselves to and what aspect of their life we're going to compare. And by the way, we always compare from a distance, so we never actually know what's going on. We're not instructed to compare to other people. God is not going to compare you to other people. Right? We, we have different gifts and abilities. We have different, we have different opportunities. We start in different places. Right? As I've said on many occasions, many of us in this room started on third base. We didn't hit a triple. We started on third base. And so to just compare lives, you know, sort of even up, doesn't work. We've got to be very cautious about comparing ourselves to others when we look at our life and the impact that it's having. Secondly, I want to encourage you to be very cautious about validating your life through your children. One of the biggest ways that parents assess their impact, and I think especially moms, perhaps that's a politically incorrect statement, and it's not exclusively true, but I, one of the ways that parents will often validate or assess their lives is through their children. And this is, on the one hand, to be expected and valid, right? We profoundly shape them by the things we do, right and wrong. But on the other hand, uh, we've got to understand that uh, children are their own people, and we don't control all the variables. And I'm emphasizing this point today because I'm especially impacted this week reading the interview with Kay Warren um, about the death of her son, Matthew, a year ago. So Kay and Rick Warren, Rick is the pastor at Saddleback Church, author of Purpose Driven Life. Their 27-year-old son, Matthew, ended his life a year ago. And the first, I think it's the first interview that Kay granted a week or so ago, and she talked about the events of Matthew's life. And they recognized at a very early age that Matthew had mental health challenges. And all the things that they did, all the, all the time they invested, all the doctors they pursued, all the prayers they prayed, all the money they spent, all the things that they did throughout his life, trying desperately to help this child. And then the last 18 months, which were just horrific as, they, as he was suicidal and they knew that, that he was right on the edge. And the, 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 the kind of efforts they invested to try and prevent Matthew from ending his life, which he ultimately did. So on the one hand, we need to look at our children because we're going to see a lot of ourselves for better or worse, in them. But we just got to approach this with some level of caution. We don't control all the variables. And uh, we, just, we just can't go too far down that path. Okay, well, having qualified this in those ways, having set up our passage, let's turn to it. It's in Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 45. This is part of the ongoing sermon that Christ preached in Luke's gospel called the Sermon on the Plain and Matthew's the Sermon on the Mount. I'm reading now. Jesus says this. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. 
Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Okay, four takeaways today from this passage. Number one, we'll start with the bad news. The bad news is uh, bad fruit means bad heart. Okay? Um, bad fruit, diseased, worm-ridden, bug-infested, rotten fruit, small, sour fruit means that something is wrong with the tree. And we, you and I, have all <clears throat> produced some bad, bug-infested, sour, rotten fruit. We have problems. We have challenges, and they go to what's going on inside us. Now, <clears throat> this is not a popular idea, and it's a hotly contested idea. Right? If you look through history, you find all kinds of people trying to describe who we are or what we are or how good we are. Right? And we, can go to, we can go to people like B.F. Skinner, the, the behavior modification psychologist, who argues that we are, right, just a man is a stimulus response machine. We are a we are a, a, a little black box. That's what he called us, right? A, we're a collection of biochemical reactions. And if you don't like what's coming out one side, then you just have to control what goes in on the other. Because the black box is neutral. We could look uh, to Jean-Jacques Rousseau, the 18th century Genevan philosopher who gave us the idea of the tabula rasa, the blank slate. And he argued that children were blank slates, which sounds like uh, Skinner, but, but he actually said something different. He said that children are noble at birth, and that people left to themselves are noble and virtuous. And living in the wild, we are virtuous. But when you bring us together, when you bring us into society, then we are corrupted. Now, Rousseau, for the record, uh, fathered many children by many different women, and he did not stick around to help raise any of them. Had he stuck around for just a couple years, he would have uh, come to understand that you don't actually have to teach noble little children to be mad, say no, throw a tantrum right? They do that all on their own. Thank you very much, right? So Rousseau's idea is a little crazy. There are hundreds of ideas about who we are and how we work. Juxtaposed to almost all of that, Jesus says this, look, bad fruit happens because of what's going on in our heart. That's where the problems begin. In a, in a culture that was obsessed with food laws because you didn't want to corrupt yourself. 
In, in, a, in a culture that had all these regulations about what you could or couldn't touch, because you didn't want to become ritually uh, or, or religiously defiled in any way, Jesus says, stop it. It's not what you eat that causes the problems. It's not what you touch. It's not what's on the outside. It's what's on the inside. The problems come here. We're, we're broken at a fundamental level. We're corrupted, depraved, deprived. We're, we're sinful. Right? That's Christ's message. And I, with some frequency, keep, in essence, saying to you, you are a mess. Right? You're sinful. You're broken. I'm a mess. Broken, sinful, depraved. Right? I realize this is not a happy story. I, I, I mean, I'd, I'd love to smile and say, it's all good. Everybody's fine. And I can't do that because it's not what this book says. It's not what reality says. And, and I, I repeat this idea that we're broken because we hear the opposite so often. Right? I mean, the, the idea out there, everybody, everybody wins a trophy today, right? Again, to go back to Lake Wobegon, all the, all the women are strong, all the men are good-looking, all the children are above average, everybody's great. Even in the face of, of, of stark evidence to the contrary, what we hear is, they're good. I mean, pay attention the next time the news is, is talking to the, the brother or the mother or the girlfriend or the neighbor of somebody who's just done something horrific, right? Broken into somebody's house and shot four people. What you're going to hear is they're all going to say, he's a good guy. I don't know what happened. He's a good person. Right? They, just, they just shot four people. And the, and the message is, he's good. We, we just hold on to this idea in spite of all the evidence. So I emphasize it for that reason, and I also emphasize it for this very good reason. Right? In order to get the proper cure, you got to have the proper diagnosis. And in order for the good news to be good, you got to understand the bad news first. And the bad news goes to our sinful heart. If your problem is not your sinful heart, if your problem is what your parents did to you, if your problem is your boss, if your problem is the way you didn't get the right education, if your problem right, is everybody else, then I got nothing for you. Right? I, 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 got, I don't have good news for you. you if you got to go out and fix everybody else, Good luck with that. But if your problem is your own sin, well, hey, Christ died for sin. I got good news about sin. You can get rid of that and, and move forward from a very different platform on life, one in which you say, I, by, by the goodness of God and the grace and the mercy, and God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. We can be forgiven and move forward from there. <clears throat> so we start, with this, um, we start with this bad news. 
And the bad news is that bad fruit equals a bad heart, and we have that. Move on to the second point. This is, this is a, a profound point, easy to miss because it's not stated, only implied. But our lives matter. Your life matters. Everything about you matters. Every choice you make matters. Because we have been made in the image of God, and because we have been entrusted with God's resources, gifts, abilities, time, talent, money, other resources, on loan to us by God, entrusted to us by God, and because we're going to live forever, everything about us matters. It's a staggering truth. Number three, we are expected to do good things and to become better people. Nothing, there's nothing complicated about this passage. It's just, again, um, it's profound. We are expected to become good people to move in that direction. You are expected, if you are a follower of Christ, to bring joy and peace and grace with you as you move through life. You are expected to be an ambassador for a loving, merciful God. You are expected to make things better for other people. Half the parables that Jesus teaches, and we'll see these in a later series, Half the parables that Jesus teaches focus on his grace, right? It's like the prodigal son. I mean, part of the big takeaway there is we're like the prodigal son who runs away and squanders the resources and enters a life of of sin and squalor and then turn back and, and as we turn back, going back to the only source of goodness we, we, we know, we find God running towards us, right, to welcome us back. It, it's a message that says, right, God meets us wherever we are. It's all about his goodness, not about what we earn, right? Half the parables are going to make that point. The other half of the parables are going to say, We have one short life to live. You better use it wisely. We are stewards of God's resources. They are temporarily entrusted to us. This is like the parable of the talents. Some of us get one talent. Some of us get three talents. Some of us get five talents. However many talents you've been given, you ought to use those talents in ways that reflect the kingdom of God. Use those talents in ways that are going to help change people's lives for the best, that are going to welcome people into a new community where life works better than it's working otherwise. Half of the parables call us to raise our game. Number four, lack of good fruit in our life is a sign that something is wrong. Bad fruit or no fruit is like the idiot light on the dashboard going on, saying, trouble. It's like an MRI 
that has, that has come back to the doctor saying, I don't like what's going on on the inside. We need to do something different right now. <clears throat> a lack of good fruit is a sign that something is wrong. Now, as an aside, let me, let me remind you that time doesn't fix things. Right? If we're headed down the wrong path, we're, we're not going to get better with the passage of time. We're going to head further down the wrong path. If, if we're, if we're going to become better, we have to introduce those ideas and principles and challenges and, and prayer, and, and we have to do the things that are going to lead us in the right direction. And time alone, we, we don't have to get wiser, we don't have to get better, we just have to get older. And so time isn't going to change things like you might hope. But we can get better, no matter who we are, no matter how old we are, in the ways that matter most, you can be a better person tomorrow than you are today. Right? I mean, health and, 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 uh, and physical appearance sort of reach their zenith in, in our 20s and, and then begins to decline. And it doesn't matter what we do. I mean, I, again, I'm running four or five days a week and after 30 years. If, if, if that's all that took, that was the only control there, I'd be getting faster every day. I promise you, that hasn't happened in 20 years. I get slower every day. I am declining physically. In terms of power and and influence, that tends to reach its zenith for us in our 50s and 60s. Some people gain power and influence in their 30s and 40s. Some people hold on to it in their 70s and 80s. But for the most part, at some point, we begin to give that up. But in the things that matter most to God... You can be a better person tomorrow than you are today. And that's what we are called to, to bear good fruit. Well, so is there anything else that we can take away from this this, uh, teaching by Christ about how to actually bear fruit? I mean, trees... The healthy trees, they, they don't tell us how it's done, right? It seems to be effortless on their part. They just produce fruit. You don't see them stressing about it ever. Uh, so is there anything there to learn? Well, I think there's maybe a couple things. One, uh, we've got to be planted in the right place. We've got to get the water and the, and the sunshine that we need. We've we got to be able to put our roots down. And, and you can ponder all of that uh, as you reflect on your own life. There's some obvious things that have to be in place. I want to leave you with one that might not be immediately obvious, and then we'll head to communion. And that is, um, healthy fruit trees are pruned. A couple years after we had our, our first home, I was talking with our neighbor, and he said, you know, you got an, an apple tree in your front yard, but it's not giving you any apples. And I said, oh, well, I didn't realize it was an apple tree. Uh, and he goes, well, yeah, it's an apple tree. And he goes, it's not, not, you're, you're not taking care of it. And I go, I didn't know it was an apple tree, and I don't know how to take care of it. What, what should I do? And he said, well, the first thing you got to do is you, you got to prune it. And he said, 
okay, yeah, I don't know anything about that. And he says, okay, well, I'll come over. And uh, he brought his clippers and his chainsaw. And uh, he started to explain to me, the first thing we got to do is we got to cut every branch, every shooter that's going up, because you don't like those. They're not going to give you fruit where you can pick it. He goes, then you got to uncomplicate everything. Everything that's crossed over, everything that's intertwined, we don't like that. We don't like complicated. We like simple. He goes, then you got to shape it so it's actually going to give you fruit where you want it. So we spent a couple hours, and the tree that looked something like that ended up looking like this. I called it the Doug Cuvillier testosterone school of pruning because he had just gone crazy on this thing. It looked like there were some aggression issues being worked out. <laughs> to my great surprise, we got overwhelmed with fruit the next year. You're a fruit tree, right? Are you producing good fruit? Have you been pruned? Do you need to be? Right? Are, you, are you putting your roots down? Are you, are you getting the water and the nourishment that you need? God expects a return on your life. How are you doing? What's the fruit that you are producing? 